All right, so Jonathan, Joshua chapter 1. And what I want to do real quick with these verses, just the first um, uh, five, five or six verses. I'm going to just read a portion, and then I want you, because you are trained Bible scholars, comparatively, to tell me the biblical theme we're dealing with here. And if we could do this, it will be amazing, okay? Because part of this class is to teach you how to read the Bible and how to theologically interpret the Bible and theologically interpret life and history and the news, etc. Now, I'm not going to be too specific, but Joshua 1.1 is the word after. It's literally the word and. So right after the Torah, Moses dies, and what is the theological theme of the word and? Ooh, give me the more technical. Yes, are you kidding me? With the word and, you just got it with the word and. Would you, would you ever start an essay with the word and? No, because the teacher would be like, uh, missing a page, right? Because it's all... Covenant succession. What's another word that we would use? It's another word that starts C-O-N that shows the, how the Bible goes together in one large whole. Continuity. Continuity. That's another one. And is continuity. And is succession. That's right. Awesome. Let's read the rest of the verse, though, and you tell me if you can do it. The death of Moses, the servant. The death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord said... Sorry, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. What is that? Well, yes, it's covenant succession, but the, the, the greatest covenant succession, it's uh, Moses dies. Remember, Moses had blessings, and he blessed the people, and he had his whole, all the covenant documents, bang, all five uh, books of it, and he blessed the people. And uh, but in order for you to receive the blessings of the covenant of the in order for you to get the inheritance, what has to happen before an inheritance can be transmitted? Someone's got to die. And, and that's Moses. He dies. Who's the ultimate death that uh, initiates covenantal blessings to flow? Christ has to die. So Moses's death is Jesus's death. Jesus is Moses dying. But then Jesus is Joshua rising. And pointing forward to the land. See, oh, now you are getting the Bible. You see that you're getting the Bible. This is good stuff, right? Imagine on the, the disciples of Emmaus when Jesus was explaining this stuff to them. They were just like, whoa, okay, okay. All right, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Go. Great commission. Yeah, there you go. That's good. He says later, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you dominion. That's right. Inheritance and dominion, right? Just as I promised to Moses, covenant promises and continuity. That's right. All right. Now, Y'all are crushing this. Y'all are crushing this. I'm so proud of y'all. Man, y'all must have a great teacher. This is so good. All right. (laughs) Now, this was going to be the hardest one. This is going to be the hardest one right here, okay? 
but I'm loving this so far. So even if you don't get an A++, you're still getting an A, I'm thinking, at least a B+, all right? So, and for those of you who are like, I'm more of a C with this game, um, that's okay, you know? We all, we're all, I, we all would have probably made Fs like 10 years ago on this, or two years ago. So, verse 4. Now, this is a hard one. All right. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No, not yet. Well, that's all in there, but he's, he's, it's, well, the promised land is the Garden of Eden. You know, the, the Garden of Eden, then it's destroyed, and then there's an ark for a time, and then there's the, uh, the promised land, which later is the land of milk and honey, which eventually is the developed Jerusalem with cities, and then eventually it's the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. So there's always that development of the promised land theme throughout the whole Bible. But this is a, t- this is a tough one. He's like, here's your territory. It's not the whole world, not yet. Here's your territory, though. These are the lines. That's your land. Go take that land and kick them out of that land. It's what, we, it's what was lacking at the library meeting this evening. <laughs> All of this was lacking there. But one thing they could never do, the Christians can't do, and so they have um, pagans running their cities. They can't establish the boundaries. No? Oh, this is good. This is a fresh one. They can't establish the boundaries. They can't draw a distinction. They can't say truth, false, good, bad, beautiful, ugly, antithesis. You can't build a wall. can't build a wall. As soon as you try to establish antithesis, light of Goshen, darkness in Egypt, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. I will put enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the servant. As soon as you draw that antithesis in our world today, the Christians will turn on you. That's why we're so weak, though. We don't have that. We don't have the antithesis. And as soon as you put one brick down in that gap in the wall, you will be zapped. You will be zapped for what you say. That's right. You will be policed. That gap in the wall must remain. There must be a, a, a synthesis in this particular spot. That's the golden calf. That's the high places. That's the holes in the wall. In, our, in, our, in the mission of our life and my life is to build that wall. And uh, so as that wall goes up, don't let it catch you in the, in the midsection. Get on... You don't, want to, you don't want to be standing over the top of it, right? You, too far? Get, no, get on one side or the other, okay? Get on, what he just said? <laughs> Trump wall. Build that wall. We're going to build a wall. Oh, boy. This is going to be clipped one day, right? <laughs> it's huge. It's going to be huge. All right, now one last one. One last one, verse 5. All right, and hopefully this isn't a waste of time. Hopefully y'all are getting this, and at least, and hopefully it's fun. You know, we don't. We're not, our goal isn't to bore ourselves to death. But look at verse five. Now, so he's like, the land is yours. Rise up and go. Establish the borders. Kick them out. Right. All all of the things we just said. I will bless you. And then he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. You shall inherit it. Go. I promised it. Have faith. Go into the future and do it. What is that? Well, I mean, it's, it's a great commission. It's a future hope. Now, what do we call that? We call that a positive eschatology. Let's not say that. That's a, that's a bad word. That's a no-no word. Positive eschatology. All right? It's very, very important. You've got to have, I don't care. I really don't care if you have all your ducks in a row and you got it all figured out and, and you have all the, you know, the cutesy Facebook language. I'm post-millennial. I'm, I'm millennial. No, very few people know what any of that means. I promise you. And in fact, the words confuse the issue because it's not just about the millennium. All right. Nobody even knows what that means. Hardly. But here's the thing you got to have just pastorally. You got to have a positive eschatology. You got to be positive. You got to believe the promises. If you can say, Pastor Brandon, I don't know all about the rapture and the disparities and the dispensationalists and the pre-mill, post I don't know all about that, but I believe the future is bright. Then I'll leave you alone. I'm done. I've done my job as a pastor. I can sleep at night and I won't be worried about you. All right. That's really that's really the only reason I teach this stuff is because I want you to have a positive outlook because it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your future for your kids. It really does. It really does. Because if you don't believe the future is bright, you will live in the <laughs> you will live in the present. You see what I'm saying? If you don't believe the future is bright, you will live in the present. You will be a consumer. You will you will be it will not it will not be good for you. You don't want to live in the present. You want to live for the future. And that changes everything. So anyway, y'all did a great job. That was amazing. Y'all, y'all are able to see the themes in every one of those verses. So let's go back and look at it a little bit closer. We're going to start with Joshua 1.1. And maybe I just taught the whole class and we can just go early. But um, someone let me know when it's 10 minutes left. We'll start in Joshua 1.1. After. All right. So Joshua is the second side of Moses if Moses is a coin and you flipped him and landed on the other side that'd be Joshua the covenant continues if you summarize Moses's ministry what would you say what would be a word that summarized everything that Moses did okay he gave them law but more important than law what does it say right before he gives them the law I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt therefore have no other gods before me It's the gospel. I am the God that brought you out of Egypt is I am the God who promised to save you and I just saved you. I'm faithful to my covenant promises. Now, since you are my slaves and I'm your covenant Lord, obey the terms of my covenant. Have no other gods before me. If you do this, I will bless you and I will give you the land. You see, that's all it is. And and listen, y'all seen the revival stuff on Facebook? All the revival, the revival. I don't know too much about it. But here's one thing I want to I want to say. Not about it, just about revivalism as a, as a whole. The secret to a wise and fruitful and invigorating Christian life is obedience to God's law. Right? Not legalism. Faith that obeys. The secret to a good, awesome Christian life is not 
emotional highs. It is not um, epic worship services. It is not a feeling or spiritual uh, charismania or anything like that. I'm not saying any of those things are happening there. I haven't even pressed play on the videos. I have no idea. I just, I know the, the, I know the seminary and I know what, I know what they teach there. And so I, I have a pretty good idea of what is happening. Plus, I was raised in it. The, the point of the, the way to feel invigorated as a Christian is to get in there and obey his commandments and fight for holiness and pray and ask for help. And get in that struggle and, uh, and he will bless you and you will have that covenantal back and forth and your Christian life will be energized. It's not about having esoteric or emotional or spiritual, quote-unquote spiritual experiences, okay? Although those are fine. Those are good when that happens, but that's not the key to the blessed life, all right? It's not the key. Therefore, you must know God's law, and you must be genuine Christians and have the Holy Spirit, and you must pray, etc. John Wesley said that he preached, uh, I think it was basically 80% law or 90% law and 10% gospel because they had to see their sin. They had to see their condemnation in, in order to embrace the gospel. And that's John Wesley. He, the, the college is called Wesleyan College. So anyway, I don't know if they're preaching God's law over there or not. Not anymore? Oh, you mean the seminary is not preaching it? Oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. All right, so that was a huge rabbit trail. But um, Moses says, I, God saves you, obey my law. So if you summarize Moses' entire ministry as covenantal head of the church for that season, what he was doing was deliverance, the exodus, salvation, freeing them from slavery. Amen? But now that he is dead and Joshua is raised up, this is a death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, we now have a new covenant head who will now apply the benefits of that deliverance. And that Joshua is Yeshua in Hebrew and Jesus in Greek. It's Jesus. In fact, the title of this book is Jesus, right? It is the title of the book. And so... you. This is one of the major problems we have in evangelical Christianity. It's a major problem is we have all deliverance, no inheritance. We don't have that second part, right? We don't even believe that second part. You understand what I mean? So if Moses is deliverance, Joshua is, here's your inheritance. And it's not after you die, although it is totally after you die, but it starts here. And it, and it passes to your kids after you're dead, and it goes on in human history as we exercise godly dominion over the earth, which is what this book is all about. But there is an inheritance. There's blessings. And so if Jesus were never raised from the dead, Paul says, then what? We would, well, yeah, we'd be still in our sins, and we would be the most miserable of all people. You know, I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I spend most of my entire Christian life, the overwhelming majority of my Christian life, from zero to 46. I don't know when I was regenerated, but God called me before eternity passed. So, but 46 years, the majority of those years, more than 50%, not having really any idea what the resurrection was for. I mean, I was glad, I'm glad Jesus is alive because I want to meet him. 
But I didn't understand the significance of that and why that's good news. Okay? And the ascension? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Because we have a cross-centered Christianity in America, and we should not. He is not on the cross. He is not a miserable, um, suffering, humiliating Savior anymore. He is a risen, ascended Lord, administering the covenantal blessings that were promised to Abraham to his people in space and time, and administering the curses of the covenant to his enemies, and bringing your salvation to pass right now. And he could only do that if he were raised from the dead. That's why it's such good news, the resurrection and the ascension, right? We lack that in the church. We don't need a cross-centered Christianity. We need a Christ-centered Christianity, right? Amen? Christ-centered. I didn't make that up. Another pastor told me that. So we've got to give him credit because that was a zinger right there. I wish I could make cool stuff up like that. All right. So that's, uh, that's kind of right there at the beginning. Now, what do we call, what is the technical term for when there is a covenant established? And, of course, you know the covenant documents are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Each of those are various aspects of a covenant. Um, and those are formed by Moses. They are the books of Moses. He gives them to the people, right? And then he dies, And now it's Joshua to come, and he is to apply those blessings to the people. Take the land. Get the milk and the honey, right? You know, pass it down to your kids. God will be your God, and you will be his people, and you will dwell in his land with you. Now, the the older generation didn't get it, did they? They died in the wilderness for lack of faith. They had a negative eschatology, right? But the new generation has revival, and we're going to see the revival under Joshua in chapter 5. But they're ready to go in and take the land, and Joshua is going to lead them, right? Actually, Joshua is going to lead them. Jesus, Jesus, the captain of the Lord's army, who Joshua meets at the very beginning of the book. And Jesus is going to lead his people through a representative, a covenantal head representative, Joshua, all right? And he's going to, um, he's going to apply all the blessings of all the promises that they received. Does anyone know the technical term for the application of all the promises to you? It's administration. That's what the word administration means. Uh, what English word is administry? Ministry, ministry, minister, minister. You see? He is the minister, the ministrator of the covenant. He doles out the blessings and the cursings. That's what Joshua is doing in this book. That's what it's all about. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 8, if anyone would do that for me. Romans 15, 8. You got it, Kevin? Uh, You're close to the recording here. Romans 15, 8. Now, this is not an easy verse, and the translation obscures some things, but uh, just listen carefully to this. Let's read real slow. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. Okay, let's stop there. Christ became a servant. That's the word administrator. It's minister. Diakonos, deacon, minister, administrator in English. So Christ is that one, okay? He became a minister. Of whom? To the circumcised. Now, to the circumcised. What does that mean? Now, it means, yeah, it, it means he is to the church, but it, to, if you're um, circumcised, it means you're the covenant people because the circumcision is the sign of the covenant, Okay. 
Um, in fact, in the Old Testament, circumcision is used as synonymous with the covenant, right? The, to be circumcised is to be in covenant. It's used synonymously. And so he, what that means, he's saying, is Jesus becomes the administrator, the servant of the circumcision covenant to the covenant people. Okay, let's keep reading. To show God's truthfulness. To show God's truthfulness. That's right. God is truthful and faithful and all of those other things. In order to confirm the promises. Okay, to confirm the promises, to make sure the promises. You see that? He is the executor. He is the administrator. He's the executor of the will, of the testament. That's right. And he is administrating the circumcision covenant, the covenant, right? Um, and he is doing it to show God's truthfulness, but also what for? To confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. To confirm all the promises that God promised to whom? The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus became the administrator of the circumcision of the covenant, okay, in order to confirm all the promises that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the Jewish people? What's it say next? In order that the Gentiles might glorify God. In, what, in, order, that the, in order that the Gentiles might be saved. Jesus is raised from the dead, the Joshua, and he points to the land. And the covenant is behind him, established to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is going to administrate this covenant until the Gentiles glorify God for the purpose of the Gentiles glorify, saving them, right? Isn't that something? There's two ways for them to be saved. Well, there's two ways for him to do this as he goes into the land, right? In the Old Testament, you can either be circumcised, that's one way, or you can be killed, worship or die. And that is still true today, still true today. That's what Jesus, that is history, that is human history. That is the theological understanding of human history. That's what's happening in history. Jesus is doing that. Okay? Um, so that's, um, that's sort of Joshua's role in the picture of, of what Joshua does. Now let's move on. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The, Moses was a servant in the household of God. Who's the son? Jesus. Jesus is the son. Joshua is assistant to the assistant. He's assistant to the servant. Right. He's he's not even assistant servant. He's assistant to the servant. Right. Um, the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses is assistant. You see what I'm saying? So he's like a slave slave. Um, but both of them are slaves in the household of God. And who are they slaving? Who is their who is their master? God. Right. And for and for whose good do they serve? Well, Christ's glory, but for our good. You see, you have to understand if Joshua didn't live and do all of this, we would all go to hell. You understand what I mean? You can say that about anything when you're dealing with the church in the Old Testament and, the, and, the, and our heritage. If Joseph would have never been betrayed by his brothers, he would have never gone to Egypt. He would have never been given the supremacy in Egypt so that he could then save his people, our people, from famine. If Judas would have never betrayed Jesus, we wouldn't be saved. If the brothers wouldn't have betrayed Joseph, we wouldn't be saved. If, jo if Joshua here doesn't come into his own and take the reins and lead the people, then, then the, the, the tribes disperse amongst the nations and they, and they marry off to the pagans and they worship pagan gods and the promise of the seed dies off. 
right? But that's not going to happen. He's going to administrate the covenant. He's going to follow God. He is a servant, and he is serving for the church, for the church. He's a servant in the household of God, right? And we're sons, and Jesus is the son, but he's, he's a servant in the household of God, and he served really well. He, he, was a, he was a very obedient, faithful servant, and he should be commended for that. Now, another thing we see right here um, <clears throat> is uh, what we can call uh, the New Jerusalem theme, okay? Now, what happened in the, in the end of the Torah, the end of the book of Exodus? Y'all know this story. The wilderness generation is judged in the wilderness. And why do they die in the wilderness? disobedience but the bible explicitly says in hebrews that they died in the wilderness for a lack of faith and what were the promises that they refused to believe the eschatological promises that god would give them the future and give them the inheritance in other words be faithful to his covenant they didn't believe god would be faithful to his covenant for them or their kids or give them the land they didn't believe it because they saw the giants and they were like no god's not big enough right Caleb believed the promise, and he was like, guys, come on, we got to do it. We got to have positive eschatology. We got to take this land, and they tried to stone him. That's what happens today, too. That's what happens today, too, is fighting words. It's, that, it's one of those gaps in the wall that, will, is, that upsets people, but we, ha- we got to be cheerful about it and joyful about it and, and just keep pressing. In. But, um, but the people that die off in the wilderness, that's the old Israel. This new Israel emerges under Joshua. Okay, that's a major theme, an important theme in the, in the Bible, that Joshua reconstitutes Israel before he goes off into the land. Now, what is the ultimate uh, object of that? That's the type, but what's the ultimate object of that? It's, it's Jesus. He reconstitutes Israel. That's why they had to have a 12th apostle. That's why they had to replace Judas. They understood what was happening here. He was going to, he promised to judge the wicked and perverse generation that rejected him. What did he say to them? I will make your house desolate. I will build my ecclesia. He said the parable of the vineyard. He said there was once a man who, uh, a king who built a vineyard and put towers and walls all around it and set it apart. And, um, and he made beautiful vines grow from that. And the, and the people were blessed but then he sent some servants into the vineyard and the workers there killed the servants. Those are the prophets. And then he said, well, you know what? They will, they'll, they will obey me and be faithful with what I give them if I send my son. And I, he sends his son and they kill the son so they can have the inheritance. Y'all know that story. And the Pharisees, the Bible says, and the Pharisees knew that he was talking about them. And he says, I will take the kingdom from you and give it to a nation what nation is that? The holy nation, the church, the reconstituted Israel, the church made up of Gentiles grafted into Israel, right? Grafted into the olive branch, and I will give it to them. And they hated him for it. They knew exactly what he meant. He was going to reconstitute Israel, and he did. That's why the New Jerusalem, what is the, what is the, the names written on the gates of the New Jerusalem? The apostles. And if you're not identified with them, you will not go to heaven. You are the new Israel, grafted in covenantally to Israel. This is complicated stuff, got to be honest with you, but life is complicated. 
Life is complicated. But I'm, if you can learn how to, to understand this and see this, I'm telling you, you will, see, you will see life better, more accurately. You will start to understand things much more clearly. So that is the theme here. The old Israel's passed away. Joshua reconstitutes the new Israel, and off they go. Um, verse 2, here's the Great Commission. <coughs> Moses, my servant, is dead. Oh, I forgot to mention this. In what event did Jesus kill off the old generation? It's in 70 A.D., at the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. That's when he did it, and the desolation of Israel. The church had already been taken out. They had been persecuted so that they left. You can read that in the book of Acts. And many of them were warned in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, when you see the city surrounded by soldiers, go to the Judean hills. Jesus had already told them, I'm going to judge Israel and all the Christians left. Now, the Romans, if you read the historians, the Romans didn't see a difference between the Christians and the Jews. They just thought they were like different denominations. And they hated the Christians and they hated the Jews, and they thought they were going about to kill two birds with one stone. But nope, the Romans, who were in bed with the Jews and vice versa, remember, we have no king but Caesar. The harlot and the beast in league together. Eventually, God had the beast kill the harlot, but the bride was already free. And released out into the world. This, that's what's happening here. This is the type of that. That's the type of that. That's why, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, when they asked him, when will the temple be torn down? Which is basically the center of all of the Old Testament, all of Israel. He said, this generation will not pass until all these things are fulfilled. And if all you have to do is look up that phrase, this generation in the book of Matthew, and it's mentioned seven times, and it's always referring to that generation that's alive. And sometimes it says a wicked and perverse generation, which is a quote from Deuteronomy. Right? So this is the new reconstituted Israel, the church. Joshua is their covenantal head. The promises have been given to them. They have hope. They have a positive eschatology, and they are ready to take the land. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Are y'all following me? This is the Great Commission. This is our mission right here. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. It's yours. It's your inheritance. Just as I promised to Moses. So, let's see if y'all can apply this. Who does the land in Palestine belong to? The Jews or the Arabs? Neither. The church. The new Israel. That's who it actually belongs to. True. So, you don't have to pick sides in that one. Okay. Um, Now, what happens if you refuse to... Let's just say they go and they beat Jericho, and things are nice. They're cozy. Milk, honey. Remember the grapes that they brought back? Big old giant clusters of grapes. The desert land had turned into a land of milk and honey. You remember all the famines in the book of Genesis. There's always a famine. They're always having to go to Egypt, right? They're always having to go back into civilization because this place is a wasteland. There's no civilization out there yet. 
digging wells, but now it's turned into a land of milk and honey. Wow, of trade routes and, and cities. Wow, isn't that something? And they're like, let's just stay in Jericho. This is comfortable. You know what I mean? We got our little, we got, a, uh, you know, we got our gym. You know, it's comfortable here. You know, we've arrived. We've arrived. Let's, you know what we should do? We should start just covering things with gold and building spires up to heaven. You know, we've, pr- we've pretty much done this thing. Let's live it up. Let's, let's uh, you know, look like we're something. What would happen? Let's not go up to the northwest corner or the south, southeast corner. Let's just stay right here. What will happen? Do what? Well, not Babel necessarily, but I'm just saying the land still got a lot of Canaanites in it. And God said, I'm going to give you every bit of it that you put your foot on. Of course, you're not going to put your foot on if you don't believe the promise and you have no hope for the promise and you don't know the mission. And all you think you have to do is sing songs and have experiences to live the Christian life instead of following what he commands you to do and to go with the tools that he gives you. What's going to happen is you think you're going to keep that Jericho. You will not keep it. God will cast you out of the land. And another generation will take up the torch. That's what a dead church is. That's what a dead church is. I really do believe just pastorally. If we don't get this, that's our future. That is our, these are the ideas that, that can build a good future for us. And if, and, and if we don't get them, we will not. Only by God's grace. Only by God's grace have we made it this long in such, in such faithlessness. I'm not saying Christ church. I'm just saying the American church as a whole. We've, we've, we still exist. There's still a lot of us. Well, we better repent soon. Better get back to business, put our foot on some things, right? What would be some categories? What would be some, some cities we should go and put our feet on top of? Y'all know what that phrase, y'all know that. Y'all know that that's a biblical phrase, he will crush the head of the serpent. Um, in, there's one story, I think it's in the Bible, where they take a city and they take their shoes and they throw the shoes over them and drape them on the wall. It's a symbol of, of, of uh, dominion. It's a symbol of uh, receiving the inheritance. Um, it's also a sign that you can buy drugs there, apparently, right? <laughs> um, so what would be some cities... You can when you go to that library board, bless their heart, they're good people, but they have no tools to work with because they've gotten rid of the Bible. They don't have God's law. They don't have God's promises. They're just like, hey, maybe they, they're literally saying, hey, Hollywood has a standard. Maybe if we follow Hollywood standard, then that would be our kids will be OK. He's just our library. They're trying to keep the young, you know, the young sex books, the teen books you know synonymous they put them in the adult section people are mad about that and there's still tons of other perverted stuff and and i mean i'm kind of like any parent that hadn't figured this one out you know you know just hand your kids on over uh, let them walk right through that gap in the wall out to canaan land like uh what's her name tamar right so i that's they don't have anything though the good guys the well-meaning but they're just kind of like well we need that we have to have some standard uh, Hollywood has a standard, and I think that would be a good one to use. And so if a book is like R, you know, it has the R stuff, we would get it out of our library. And the, and the, the, pink-haired, the pink-haired ladies and men are like, boo, hiss, hiss. No, we keep that in. We want the R. They have a different standard, right? Everybody wants the kids. 
And one group's like, no, we have to keep our kids from this. And the other per- people are like, no, we have to have the kids read this. Everybody wants the kids because everybody wants covenant succession because everybody wants inheritance. This is in us. But they don't have tools. They don't even have a standard. They don't have a backbone. They don't even know what to fight with. Right? They're, they're t- saying the word. Like, we need a standard. We have to have a standard. And other people are like, the standard, standard. And, and I'm just, I turn and I look at a, Christian and I'm like wouldn't it be nice if we had a standard <laughs> I whispered it real quietly I wasn't rude <laughs> no I'm not a confrontational person I do not I do not like to do that I do not want to conf- I know it's hard for y'all to believe that but I swear I do not like conf- personal confrontation at all it's my worst fear and so and then a, a lady actually took a picture of me after that and then she took a picture of this, and she cropped it, and she started sending it to people saying, what is this? I'm serious. Aaron saw her phone the whole time. So maybe we'll get some free publicity soon. <laughs> See, some people do, oh, no, we don't want that. No, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. We're going to get it. Now, let me just say this. What if we decide not to? put our feet on the cities of Canaan. We, we, oh, we hadn't listed the, ci- the cities of Canaan yet. Education, music, art, entertainment, media, journalism, science, math. Did I say education? Education, one more time. Right, that's the, f- that's the front lines. That's the front lines. That's why we started with a school. Right? Every area of life, if the Christians would repent and 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 turn to God and say, we're going to apply your law and your gospel in this area, it would be ours. That's what would happen. It's got to start, though, just by the way, it's got to start in your heart. Because if you haven't put your foot on your heart, then forget about it. You're a fool. You're running a fool's errand. You have to tame your tongue. You have to tame your heart before you ever think you're going to tame mass media or whatever. All right? Now, what if we refuse to carry out this mission? Well, yeah, but worse than that, we won't just stay poor and, and you know, we won't, we won't get to keep our comfortable lives. The board will eventually have pagans on it, and they will run you out, and they will own the library, which is what's happening, which is what we're watching, right? And they will own the city, and they will own the kids, <laughs> right? Five minutes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Can't restore it. You're not going to be salt, can't restore it. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Yeah, that's it. That's what's happening in our country. We've got to interpret events theologically. That's what is happening. Um, why? <coughs> that's why, by the way, that's why our taxes are going up, just as one example. That's why the state is growing and taking more spheres of life. Right? And it's, it's going to continue, and it will continue to increase in intensity and rapidity until the church, the covenantal people that are in the land with their covenantal head in heaven until we repent. And I don't think we will repent until preachers preach this. Because nobody even knows. They don't see it. And, 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 and I'm not making up this stuff. I promise you. I just read old Puritan books. 
and listen to sermons from dead people from before the apostasy. That's all, right? <laughs> you see, I, when I was born in the church and raised in the church, and, you know, on Sunday mornings we'd get up and they would point to that golden calf over there and they'd say, this is what got us out of Egypt. I said, really? Okay. You know, we'd, I'd sing my songs to the golden calf and play the guitar. You know, I always thought the golden calf is what brought us out of Egypt. That's the story of Israel, right? Until uh, a faithful preacher um, began to deconstruct that and tear down those golden calves and say, no, that's not what brought us out of Egypt. Yahweh is who brought us out of Egypt. Um, Now, why? why, um, um, What? Okay, no, I thought you got that. Romans 4, 13, one more verse. For the, fr- the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. When did God promise Abraham that? Paul, that's Romans 4, 13. When he promised him the land. Abraham knew it was just a token. Abraham didn't think God was a local deity, right? He understood that, right? Um. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. See, what is the, what is the key to our victory? How can we even get started with this? Faith in the promises. Faith in the promises. Right? No, I think that's the key. We've got to keep telling our kids about the promises telling our kids about what we're supposed to do, letting them know the Bible so that they are just born in 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 an environment where they believe, if I follow Christ and I push the claims of Christ into my life, I will win. I will be blessed, right? We have to get that. We have to not put doubt in their head. We have to put hope and positivity and faith into their head about their mission in life. That's very, very important. All right, is that our time? It's pretty much our time. All right, close enough. Y'all have a good evening.